Hello there, welcome to episode 15 of Can I Borrow Your Mind? My name's Lewis Garnham and this week I spoke to Kirsty Wiebeck. She's one of my favourite comedians in Australia and it was really nice because we, we did a gig together, like a real life comedy gig, which you know we haven't been able to do for months obviously because of the pandemic and we just got to the gig early and, and sat in the green room and had this big long chat and because I hadn't seen her in so long she's a great friend of mine it was just it was like a podcast and it was really interesting and it um it sort of felt like we were recording a podcast in a way but in another way it felt like we were just catching up and I think that I just edited it then and I didn't have to edit it at all it's just like a really free-flowing conversation and I think you can hear in the way that we're talking, that we're just having a really nice catch-up. And Kirsty's so interesting and she, yeah, speaks so uh, beautifully and amiably. I don't know if that's a word, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that she's really endearing. She tells such amazing stories. I urge you to check out her comedy. So go to, I'll, I'll post all the links to all this stuff in the um description but go to her website go on youtube there's clips of her doing stand-up she's got her own podcast that she releases every wednesday night and that's just her talking for half an hour i'm sure you'll enjoy listening to her on this podcast and if you do yeah go listen to her stuff um she's brilliant she's a comedian who i really admire and look up to and we talk a lot about comedy in this podcast which i really enjoy and I feel like she has some really interesting opinions on comedy and the industry and um, yeah, I think I think you'll find it fascinating. It's also a lot of fun. There's a lot of laughs I had and a lot of good times. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you like it. Uh, if you do like it, can you please share it around? That'd be cool. <laughs> I, I think I said that wrong. I shouldn't have said, can you please? It makes it sound desperate. I don't give a fuck. Share it around if you want to. If you're if you're compelled to do that, then you will just do that. I don't even really need to say that. Um, and subscribe and rate it and all that stuff. And I'll see you next week for another episode. Uh, yeah. And other than that, I hope you're having a great life. The intro music for this podcast is by a band called Silt, who everyone should check out. Thank you very much for listening. I'd also like to say that I recorded this podcast on the lands of the Kulin Nation and I'd like to pay my respects to the Wurundjeri and the Bunwurrung people and extend that respect to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people who might be listening to the podcast and I'd like to say that sovereignty was never ceded in Australia. I really hope you enjoy this. I'm sure you will. It was a lot of fun recording. I'll see you next week for another great episode of Can I Borrow Your Mind? This is episode 15 with comedian Kirsty Wiebeck. Your experience of lockdown anyway, just like... So living by the beach was obviously good. But did you stay sane generally throughout... Yeah, you were yeah. fine. I did, yeah, I probably don't have any... Oh, actually, I've got a few good stories. Like, I did I did a really high-profile podcast one day and... Can that... we say what podcast it was? Yeah. Who yeah, was yeah. It? What was it? So, it was for Women's Agenda. Yeah. And so, they did a series of, like, six podcasts. 
episodes and like what I was one of the guests and Julia Gillard was one. Whoa. And the and the, <laughs> the and the other guests were like all super high profile and I was like representing the entertainment industry. That's and fucking cool. It was cool as. Um but that's when I really realized like d- during that podcast that's when I really first started to notice the effects on lockdown on yeah. me like in so far as like, I was just really inarticulate. <laughs> and in my brain, I had all these important things to say. And I wasn't nervous or anything, but I literally couldn't articulate myself because I hadn't been. Yeah. Like, I'd been doing my own podcast every week, but it's so, like, pithy and silly. And it's a, it's just half an hour, and it's me on my own. So I'm just, like, fucking just spinning shit by myself <laughs> on my podcast. And then this one was with an actual, like, high-profile journalist who was asking me about... Um, like women in entertainment and, you know, how women will advance and, like, how I see things changing over the coming decades. And I'm like, yeah, I reckon things will be pretty good for women. (laughs) 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 How do you see, uh, like, do you see the entertainment industry evolving over the years for for women? And and how do you see that happening? Yeah, I reckon it will. (laughs) Yeah, they'll get opportunities. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like um, it's like anything. And I think especially with like talking and performing and then also with just like talking to mates or whatever, if you don't oil that machine regularly, it just gets rusty as like I'm I feel like I've lost the ability to socialise a bit. The last few Mm. weekends I've gone out to bars and caught up with people who I haven't seen during lockdown. And I'm so awkward. I'm like, hey, how are you? Um, So what's been going on? Like everything's jolted and there's no flow to the things I'm saying. It's fucking weird. Do you feel like it's inhibited as well by the fact that we can't physically be the same with our mates and whatever is before? Absolutely. Like the fact that I can't hug a lot of my very close friends when I see them, it's it's like it creates a disconnect in my brain yeah. where it almost makes me feel as though we've fallen out. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> so it gives me the same kind of awkwardness around them from the beginning that I'd have if, if I bumped into someone that I used to be friends with totally, and I'm not really anymore. Totally, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, I, I know that it wouldn't be like that if I was able to greet them in the way that I ordinarily would. Definitely, yeah. It's like... Yeah, all the all the all the little bits of affection without them, it feels it almost feels like you're like um meeting up with someone that you're supposed to get along with. Like, you know, you're like <laughs> you're like, Oh, you're you know, you're John, I remember you, like little elbow bump but it's all a bit fake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's very like, weird. And also I hate the elbow bump. Yeah, same. Like, I hate it so much and I understand that people are trying to meet in the middle in a way that you can still, you know, show a a, a tiny level of affection and familiarity, but I just, I hate it. Like it's, it's in the same category for me as like when people think they've got a special handshake with you and you're you're not privy to it and then they try and do it with you and and like, I just, I panic. (laughs) (laughs) What are we doing? Where do I move my thumb? (laughs) Yeah, but I remember, um. There's a, a guy that works at a, a comedy venue that I that I perform at each year, and and last year he started doing some handshake thing with me, 
And I was like, oh, no, I can't. I can't do it. I, I, don't, I don't know what the handshake is. And, and I just had like a breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> I just started having a full on like, And I was like You always try and do these things with me And I don't know how it started And then it turned out that he thought I'd started the <laughs> And I was like I would never It's like both of you were caught in this lie Of like oh, I better do the handshake Because she'll want me to do it Because she started it And you're like thinking that he's Oh god What about um we're about to do a gig tonight and this is my second gig back. I've only done one before this, mm-hmm. not including like Zoom gigs and stuff, sure. which because I don't include them. Yeah, I right. don't think that's... Yeah. <laughs> Online world, not yeah. the real world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, how, how many gigs have you done since it's come back and how have they gone? Especially the first one. I want to hear about the first one back. How was it? Yeah, cool. So uh, the first one back for me was... Uh, last week I did two back-to-back gigs at Catfish Comedy. Oh, cool. Yeah, which was such a nice way to get back into it because it's a room that I love. Mm. Um, you'd well understand why. Mm. It's, it's beautiful. Such, it's beautiful and it's such a lovely, warm crowd and mm-hmm. it's always a like pretty young and progressive crowd. Yeah. And they're, they're really friendly and a lot of them are sort of comedy connoisseurs. So... It feels like a cool spot to try new gear. Definitely, out. yeah, Cause, yeah, because because they a lot of them go all the time and get comedy, and it almost feels like they're excited when they can tell that you're trying out a new idea. Yeah, you know, like even like the fact that it's not fully formed and it's a bit fucked, yeah. they kind of like that. <laughs> they're like, oh, look what they're doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's so true. I'm so glad you mentioned that because. I was emceeing, which which is even more optimal. Yeah. Like your first gigs back emceeing yep. where, you know, for people listening, uh, it's always a comedian that emcees the comedy rooms, uh, which a lot of people don't realise because quite yeah. frequently, because uh, I do a lot of emceeing and quite frequently people are like, you're actually really funny too. You, why don't you do it? And I'm like, no, no, I do it. That is it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's my only job. <laughs> Like, I'm a stand-up comedian. That is my actual career. Yeah, the 10 minutes that I was talking at the start before I introduced the first act, that's stand-up comedy. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't coincidentally funny. Yeah, yeah. I've spent years (laughs) working out how to do this. (laughs) I've had people say that to me as well. It's weird. It's weird that people would just think that, like, an MC would just have the exact same skill set as a comedian yeah. but not be a comedian. Yeah. Yeah, and and I but I do I do love the idea. Like if 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 I'm in a bad mood, I find comments like those irritating. <laughs> but in the right conditions, I'm like I think it's quite cute that they're so encouraging of me to have a red mm, hot coat. Definitely. Yeah. And even though like I very much have had a red hot coat. <laughs> And uh, I'm, you know we're, we're getting paid to MC the show because we're comedians. Um, but you know you get a little bit more leeway with MCing, yeah. In, in that you don't necessarily have to have. I mean, I always do stand up gear, uh, but there's plenty of great MCs around that don't really and do a lot of crowd work or you know spinning some stories and whatever. So it it felt like a really non threatening way to get back on stage. Definitely, yeah. Do you? Um, just on the emceeing thing, because I, I find it quite stressful emceeing, mm. but I, I assume that you don't. I feel like you love it. Do, yeah. Do, would you say you love it? Yeah, do yeah. Do you find it 
the reason I find it stressful is because you're sort of, in a way, you're sort of in charge of whether the night goes well or badly. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, I do really love it. It was, it was one of those things where I, a few years ago, I kind of started getting booked really regularly to MC or almost to the exclusion of doing stand-up spots. So when I toured around the country, I'd be doing stand-up spots or whole shows or whatever. But in Melbourne, like, I'd, mm. I'd have five shows a week where I was emceeing every show. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I was like, okay, well, obviously for some reason people have decided that I'm good at that. So it made me determined to become really super good at it. And then it just ended up being a cycle then where cool. <laughs> I, was, I was focusing on improving as an MC, and then just getting booked for more of that. And yeah, so I do loads of it now and I do, I do really enjoy it. And I think I quite like that pressure of, yeah, but yeah, keeping, keeping the night afloat basically. Totally, yeah, You're right. yeah. And the cool thing is that particularly in Melbourne, we have a, an awesome comedy scene here and we have so many great comedians and all the up and comers are really great. Um, you know, people that are, are starting out get swept up in the enthusiasm yeah. of the scene here. And I actually find it really easy to MC in Melbourne because I'm generally working with a bunch of professionals. Mm, yeah. Or people that are on the cusp of being professionals. And it's not like I've got to mop up. Totally. Yeah. 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 Like it's very and also, rare. it's like. Like, from what you're saying, I gather, like, you enjoy watching their set as well. So you're totally. in good spirits because you introduce them, you watch their set, you enjoy it, you come on. Yeah. It's all, like, it's all quite positive. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, I, yeah. And, I mean, sometimes, yeah, sometimes when I'm doing stand-up spots, I'll book a few gigs in a night. And so I'll just zoom in, do my spot. Yeah, And yeah. go. And I like... I like being around for the whole show and feeling like a really integral part Definitely. of the show. And, and just watch, I love watching other people crush. And after a while, like by the second half of a show, like I feel like I'm mates with the whole crowd, even yeah. if I haven't chatted to them. Yeah. And so, and we've all been there and we've got some in jokes cause we've seen someone do something, you know, totally out there on stage and we're like, we were there for that experience together. So and cool. Yeah, and you get to do callbacks like to stuff that you've said, stuff that audience members said and stuff mm -hmm. that the other stand-up said. Mm -hmm. So like you get to create a real intimacy. Yeah, and you create th those callbacks and that stuff you're doing will only ever happen on that one night exactly. with those people that are in that room. Yeah. It's kind of special. Totally. Yeah. yeah, it's cool. I I just find it yeah I just find it nerve wracking, almost like I feel a little bit like it's on me if one of the comedians has a shit set. Like obviously a lot of it's on them. Like sure. whoever's doing the set has some control over it. But yeah, I just don't want to ever bring anyone on to like mediocre round of applause. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny that you mentioned that because. Speaking of my first gigs back, the first show that we did at Catfish last week went great. High energy, like you were saying before about new bits, I did a brand new bit and cool. I asked the audience if they were cool with it and they were so pumped for it. And the bit actually went really great, even though I haven't really started working on it, so it doesn't have a huge amount of jokes in it. It's just a cool story. And then I did it in the second show and it was great. 
So I got through 99% of these two shows. And then right at the very end, Dan Connell was on. And uh, he's, you know, he's a wonderful comedian. He's mm-hmm. a good mate of mine, so it was totally fine. But I gave him the weirdest intro <laughs> And it was so bad and I couldn't think of any words. And then I was staring into space and then I was like, well, I've just run this room into the ground and I don't know how to fix it. So Dan Connell. <laughs> and, and it was just like one golf clap yeah, and Dan just yeah. walking all the way from the back of the room to just silence and me doing a walk of shame. How did he go? Um, well, he's also so dry totally, that's and what understated I was in his mm. delivery that it couldn't have happened to a better person. Absolutely, yeah. Because he got up there and he was like, uh, yeah, a uh, big round of applause for your MC, Kirsty Wiebeck. And uh, thanks, thanks, Kirsty, for that uh, seamless introduction <laughs> and uh, welcoming me onto the stage. That's a good Dan Connell impersonation. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> With the pauses yeah, and stuff. Yeah, really like, slow. Really Like he's slow. thinking about every word. Yeah. Fuck, he makes me laugh so much. Yeah, With he's that. so soft. He's so soft. Like, so he's, so- he's like talking really quietly <laughs> and everyone's listening intently. He, I've, I've never told him this, but when I was like 17 or something, I, I don't know, maybe it was on Triple R or something. I was living in Adelaide, but I was in Melbourne for a weekend. I had family here. And I don't know what radio station I was listening to, but my mum went into Coles at Northcote Plaza. I just always remember this. I was like 16. I had never really thought about doing stand-up comedy, but I'd always thought that comedians were like really cool or something. I thought it would be a great job. And he was on this radio station and it was like this 20 minute interview while my mum was doing the shopping at Coles and he was just talking about how he got into it and like growing up on the southeast coast and I don't know and I just remember listening to that interview and being like fuck maybe like it made comedy seem more realistic because it was like this guy just sounds like such a lovely guy he's just like some Australian guy and he's just making a career out of doing comedy maybe I could do that that's so rad you've got to tell him that story he'd be so chuffed he'd love it yeah yeah, he he really would he'd be like oh mate oh mate yeah thanks uh, oh thanks for that mate (laughs) that's exactly (laughs) what he would do Um, this is like a like I don't know, like a bullshit PR kind of question or whatever. But I actually find it really interesting, um, so I don't care. How did you get into comedy and why and all that stuff? And do you remember when you decided you wanted to do it and all that sort of yeah. stuff? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I like this question because every time I answer this question, like it makes me dig a little bit deeper. Yeah, into it. Like I used to give surface questions for so long. I mean, because you said it, you you know, you just said that it's a bit of a bullshit PR question, and and I'm guessing what you mean from that is that we get asked that a lot, all the don't time, we? yeah. But but I don't mind at all because literally it makes me unpack it for myself every yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it used to be so surface, but now I'm like, I was, I was always a class clown. Mm-hmm. Always loved making people laugh, and. When I was in my teens, my mates were always like, they, there was a comedy, I think it still runs a comedy competition in Canberra where, where I grew up called Green Faces. And it's mm. at the Irish Club, which is in my neighbourhood where I grew up. And my friends used to every year pressure me into entering Green Faces. Really? 
I was one of the very few people that understood that being funny around your mates isn't the same as being a comedian. <laughs> you so, understood that before you'd done stand-up yeah. comedy? Really? Wow. Even though I wasn't, I wasn't a, a hugely comedy literate, I didn't watch a lot of comedy. Like, yeah, I didn't know a huge amount about it, but I just, I, I just knew that it was one of those things that if you are excellent at, unfortunately you make it look effortless. Yeah. And the reason yeah. that's unfortunate is that everybody Everyone. thinks that they can do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And usually people only start to value it when they bomb emceeing their Christmas ah, party or whatever. And then they're like, so oh, true. <laughs> oh, no, you know, I tried to be funny in a speech at work the other day and oh, it went down terribly. Yeah. And, oh, now I get it. Like, yeah. I get why people pay you to do this. <laughs> it's hard. So, mm, it's really hard, but it is unfortunate that when you're good at it, totally. you make it look that's like what, the easiest thing in the world. That's what the best ones do. They yeah. make it look effortless. Yeah, that's, yeah. What, that's what we all strive to do yeah. all the time. But it also, for, for a lot of people, it devalues it in their minds mm. because they're just like, well, she just gets up there and talks a bit. I, spe- and it's I feel like especially your style because your style is so, um, like, I feel like the audience feels like you're their mate and you're just chatting and telling these stories. You know what I mean? Like you have a very conversational sort of style that almost looks like you're not doing a performance. Yeah, sure, totally. People always tell me that. Audience members always tell me that because people often yell out and whatever, like not, not heckling getting involved yeah. and then and often they'll like message me later like on my social media or they'll send me an email or whatever through my website and they'll apologize and they'll be like i just got so swept up and forgot that you weren't just chatting to me <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like well it didn't hurt the show at all anyway but i apologize i, I appreciate you reaching out yeah there's no need to apologize but so nice. i get it so frequently where people are like i just forgot that we weren't just having a chat in the totally. park and that you're not my mate and that you were working <laughs> But, um, but yeah, I, I understood that. I don't know why, but I understood that it was an art form. And so I always pushed back and I wasn't ready. I didn't have anything to talk about. Um, and it was always like way in the back of my mind, but it was like a latent dream. Like I didn't realise that it actually was. And it's it's so weird. It's, um, you know, I moved to Taiwan in my 20s and I, I, I was there for six years and I was studying Mandarin and I was teaching and I worked in publishing as well. I wrote books and, and edited for this company. And then when I came back... Like so, f- and were you getting pressured to do Green Faces before that? Like, yeah, so that was That was, was more, all before, yeah. but you never actually No, I never did, did it. No, I spot. never did it. Yeah, right. I, just, I was happy just coasting along and just making my mates laugh, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, came back in my late 20s from Taiwan and... Then just fell into, I couldn't get a job because everyone was suspicious of what I'd been doing for six years, you know, gallivanting around. And um, took the first job I could get that was, you know, in a call centre. Ended up staying in that government department for a a while, but desperately didn't want to be there. It was just I had Mm. rent to pay. Mm -hmm. And basically, it's such a cliche kind of story, but I... Woke up one morning after I'd had a really ugly breakup with a girlfriend and I literally woke up one morning and I was like, you're going to be a comedian. Wow. Look look for a way in. And I, I had no contacts. I didn't know anyone. I didn't know anyone doing it or who tried. So I ended up signing up for a course and I did – in my head I was like, I don't think you can teach comedy. I was very sceptical about it. 
having done the course, I still stand by that. But what was great about it for me, and which is what I thought would be the case, is that it gave me like a boot up the bum, basically. Yeah, yeah, to totally. take to take action. And then it was—it's quite funny, but yeah, so my story is a bit obscure. In the course, do you do you do any spots, or are you just yeah. riding and? It's a one-week course, and you work on a five-minute bit. Ah. Um, you do like four sessions. Uh, Two full days and then a couple of one-on-one consults or something. And then at the end, it was like a bringer gig yeah, yeah. where you were expected to sell. They were really cheap, but you were expected to sell 10 tickets to the show. There were 150 people there Whoa. at the Athenaeum. Whoa. So, yeah, we did the five-minute bit. and How'd that go? I loved it. Like, I barely had any jokes. Mm-hmm. It was like a rostrum speech. Yeah. I, like, memorised it. My cadence and intonation were unnatural because yeah, I was yeah. memorising, reciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I was hooked. Mm. I got some laughs. Um, yeah, it it definitely didn't properly resemble stand-up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it made me... It, having even gotten the laughs that I did get just made me go, oh, yeah, okay, this is it. That's exactly what I had. I had a, like a five-minute thing that definitely wasn't great. <laughs> like, it was shit. But like, there was three three or four moments where I got laughs. Yeah. And I was like, sweet. I'll yeah, just keep hooked. doing it. Yeah. Totally hooked. And if I can get like a little bit of laughter in my first time, I was thinking if I can get a little bit of laughter now, like imagine how much I'll get in three years right, if I do this every totally, week. Totally. That's exactly yeah. what I thought. I was like, one day these people are going to be clapping and cheering. Yeah. And, and yeah, the, the whole set will just be full of laughs instead of sporadic ones. And and I was hooked because it's all for me. It's I was actually talking to a mate about this really recently because sometimes I get frustrated about the tropes that even the industry itself perpetuates. Mm-hmm. Like I hear, I hear a lot of comedians getting up and talking about how all comedians are screwed up and yeah. attention seekers, and you know. Um, like we can't afford therapy which is why we're on stage and like i've got mates who are great comedians who are like oh yeah i definitely use it for a bit of catharsis and there's no shame in that there's space for that yeah that's awesome yeah but i just don't like that we 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 treat ourselves as a monolith because for me being a stand-up comedian has always been about the craft and genuinely just thriving of making other people laugh and be happy yeah uh, and it, for me, it doesn't matter if I'm performing at Hamer Hall for 2,000 people or if it's in one of the clubs in the city and it's a rainy night and no one showed up and there's six people. Definitely. I'll walk off the stage both times feeling just as great for having made some people have a nice time for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And, so and it's, it's always not, been that. It's not your. it's not like you're doing it because you have to, otherwise you're... Like you're not using it as therapy, you wouldn't say. No, I no. mean, yeah, and anyone who's familiar with my stand-up is, you, you know, would yeah, know yeah, my yeah, tour. Yeah. Usually it, it's anecdotal stories, funny things that have happened or whatever. Yeah. Occasionally there's a mildly serious message in there that's just been, you know, disguised. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, distilled. But Yeah, but rarely. I mean, usually it's, it, it's very escapist stand-up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just, you know, I fell down the stairs the other day. I'm going to tell you about it for seven minutes. <laughs> And I'm obviously fine. I'm fine about it and I'm not upset about it and no one would need to know about it if I didn't tell it on stage. <laughs> I, 
I absolutely agree. Like I, I, I get annoyed by um, how we're sort of pigeonholed as like unstable or narcissistic or, you know, like, oh, you must have been bullied in school yeah. to want to be a comedian. And of course there would be comedians like that, but mm. it's just, it's ridiculous to put any profession in like some box of, of course there's going to be people doing it for all different sorts of reasons. Yeah, yeah totally. And, I remember an a, a, uh, interview I did a few years back. The the interviewer, like what, like live on air, mentioned exactly that to me, like about you know, like yeah, being bullied at school and you know how like we're all like that and whatever. And and I was like, I was like, I had, I had so many friends in school. Yeah. Like I'm like I'm I, I don't fit into that. I was like, yeah. I didn't get bullied, you know. Like um, and I think it's. Yeah, it's it's awful for anybody that was, but I was just fortunate that. I mean, a lot of it probably goes back to the fact I was funny. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's, it's very easy to make friends and for people to want to be around Absolutely. you and to keep you on side when you're funny. And so I was like, no, I don't, I don't fit into that. Like, I don't have. No, that's that's not a thing. Yeah. In, in fact, like I got to perform in class every day growing up, and it made me feel great. It made all my friends feel great. And I wanted to carry that into adulthood, you know? Yeah. I think we've got a very similar thing of it. Like, I, when I do stand-up, I'm not, like, grasping at some trauma to, mm. like, make my material. I, mm. Like, I've, I'm so privileged and lucky. I've pretty much had a life free of any trauma, really. Yeah, sure. And, like, I don't think you need that trauma to make comedy. Like, yeah. you can yeah. just... Yeah, you can just do it. You can just yeah, and I, yeah. I guess it just it yeah it frustrates me a bit, especially when it comes from within the industry, mm. because there's space for everybody and everybody's reasons yeah, for why yeah. they're doing it, and it, there's so much space because our different motivations are what makes our comedy different. Exactly. And like, if you know, if you and I were doing the same bits around town, we would be directly in competition we wouldn't be on the lineup together today yeah 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 because they don't want to hear from the same dude exactly. twice right yeah, yeah imagine <laughs> <laughs> like we, one of them just looks like you one of them looks yeah, like yeah, me yeah. it's all the exact yeah. same material yeah but we both get up there and talk about how we heard Dan Connell on the radio <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it inspired yeah. us to get into comedy word for word we tell the same story <laughs> So, Absolutely. Yeah, that's no, I that's feel- what I love about like when you do a spot and you stand at the back of the room and watch is that you're like, oh, that person, that this is the way they access comedy. Like they do this sort of storytelling thing and they loop it around like this. And then the next act will be completely different. Yeah. And it's just, it's so cool seeing everyone's different. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I wish we could, I wish we could move away <laughs> from like publicly from- constantly perpetuating that yeah, trope yeah. that... We're all just lost little souls, yeah, grasping for a little bit of limelight. It also just discredits the art, and totally, and yeah, and the fact that you know, yeah, we're all really different, and uh, and there's actually it, it also to me kind of paints a picture that we accidentally end up being allowed to be professionals, yeah, yeah, rather than the fact that a lot of work, exactly, and and yeah a lot of really hard work and management and and clever business decisions yeah. and whatever go into being able to make it a career it goes back to what we were saying before of like people seeing it as effortless and then just assuming that it's not a lot of hard work or it's totally. not uh, 
It's not a thing that you have to work at for a long time. Okay, but then in saying all of that, like, yeah, I'm totally with you on all of that. But interestingly, you did decide to do it the day after a breakup. Mm. Do you think... Was that related? Like, was were you like, oh, I'm feeling sad, therefore I want to do this thing that I've always thought about doing? Or was it anything like that? Or was it like, I'm turning over a new leaf? Yeah, I'm, I think it was that. I yeah. think it was like, I think it just gave me some awesome clarity. And I, I would have been, um, I would have been like 30. And I think, I, I think the timing is somewhat, coincidental but I, I I feel like I felt like that breakup was the, like a very distinct end point in time mm, and I wanted to use that, that as like yeah I wanted to use that not just in respect of like you know starting to get my act together and to date you know the the right people or whatever because I knew this relationship wasn't the one for me and like I you know I should have bailed on it earlier and whatever but I was like I want to seize this moment in a broader sense, not just in terms of re- relationships, but like put, pull your socks up, Webeck. Like you're 30 <laughs> years old. What do you really want? You don't want to be dating people like that. You don't want to be working in this job that you hate mm. going to. What do you love? You love making people laugh. We're going to do it. We've got to find a way and we're going to do it. So I think it was that, that it was just like use this moment to turn everything around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So That's it was more so like a cool. just an exclamation mark in my life rather than, yeah, than like a trauma response. Because if anything, I was very relieved and overjoyed that this relationship had ended. So I, I don't even know if sadness really came into it Definitely. at yeah, that point. Yeah, yeah, like, of yeah. course, it would have been waves. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But yeah. like... I'm but, not soulless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, going to go make some people laugh. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're gone. Yeah. See you, never. Yeah. Going to go and the make someone begins. laugh. The <laughs> <laughs> um, Do you have a... This is another question that we get asked a lot. And I, I just like, I've had a few comedians on this podcast and I just like asking these questions because I find them, I, I reckon they're cool. Um, do you have like a, like a worst gig story? <laughs> yeah. They, that's a classic question, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I usually do, um, like obviously not during this period in time, but I usually do a lot of cruise ships. Yeah. And on on our final day on the cruise ships, we have to do a Q and A session with the audience, <laughs> and and like. <laughs> Wait, can you for the listeners? Because I feel like if you weren't in, if you didn't do comedy, or if you didn't go on cruise ships, I feel like a lot of people wouldn't even realise that there's this whole thing of like comedians doing cruise ships. I've never done one. Yeah. But I feel like it's just an interesting. I was going to do one before COVID actually. Can you like just like summarize what it's like doing yeah. comedy on a cruise yeah, ship? Yeah, yeah, awesome. So I usually do 3-day comedy cruises which are with like four other comedians and then um our yeah, tour manager essentially. Um and we do a couple of galas uh-huh. and then we do a headliner show. Yeah. So usually it's like two seven-minute spots. And the cool thing for me is that I'm always I, – I, I never work on the first night. I'm always on, on the third night and the second night. So I get the whole second day and the first night of an, anonymity. Yeah, you know? that's so, great. <laughs> yeah, well, because really this is what I was going to ask. So after you've performed, you're just on a boat with these people. Yeah. Is that a nightmare? Like, Yeah. <laughs> I imagine that being a nightmare. <laughs> What's look, it like? Look, they – 
They're usually they're usually pretty pretty good. I mean, you're on with a, a bunch of mates, yeah, so, yeah which yeah. is which is cool. It's it's really unique in that way. I mean, you and I have done road show together, mm-hmm. and so uh, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival um, does a, a tour each year with a similar thing. Like I think it's five acts, and then a tour manager and a yep. stage manager, and so, and so it's like school camp. We get totally. to moon around the country. Yeah. For a, a week or a few weeks, and there's together. a real camaraderie in it. Like yeah. if you all have a weird night where the crowd's weird, like you all do it together, yeah. and then you drive to the next one the next day, and you're, you're sort of bitching about how yeah. shit those people in that town were, or whatever. Yeah. You're trying to pump it's each real other fun. up again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it feels like school camp. Totally. And you know, it can be the majority of my years touring by myself, and whilst I get to hang out with people at venues and whatever around the country like I do, the vast majority I, I reckon of my year is ordinarily working just alone yeah not with other comics and so especially when you get these sleepover gigs like road show yeah. or like yeah or, or the cruise ships like it is it, it it's just so reminds school me of school camp. camp and it's so fun yeah. and you have all these in jokes and you get up in the morning and you go to the coffee shop <laughs> and you play cards with everybody at 11 a.m and then you have a little, you know, you go and cut laps of the open walking deck totally, for a bit. Yeah. Then you do your spots at night and... It's like the, the comedy becomes just like a part of it. Yeah. Not a small part. Like it's a significant part, but it's just, it's not like the main, it's not like all about the comedy. It's about like getting lunch, going yeah. on this walk, yeah. like, you know? Are you scheduling stuff on WhatsApp with people? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, hi babes, um, <laughs> does anyone want to have an espresso martini at two o'clock? <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, I'm off to the gym, and, and everyone's like, Yeah, we've all got stuff going on. All right, all right, Rocky, I'm not coming, but I'll meet you for a year after. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's really fun, and generally because you spend a lot of time with the other comedians, generally people are pretty shy to approach you. Yeah. It's when you branch off and you're going back to your cabin room or whatever that you get, you know, a few people that are like, hey, I've got one for you. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, how, you can use this one tonight if you want. <laughs> Here we go. What's really fat? My wife. <laughs> and you're like, oh, mate, honestly, I just heard three different men just told me that same joke on deck two. Like, <laughs> it's not even a joke. It's awful. Stop saying that to me. <laughs> Anytime someone says you can use this on stage if you want, it's I don't think it's ever been anything good or funny yeah. that's followed yeah, yeah. that. You know it's what I mean? It's, it's, it's always, totally. it's usually like sexist or sometimes it's racist or just like not funny. Yeah, at yeah, all. yeah, totally, <laughs> just totally. Shit. But yeah, generally they, yeah, generally the cruises, they're, they're really fun. The passengers, passengers are usually really cool and like the companies that we work for really take care of us. And yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, I can't do any gig if I don't enjoy it. Definitely. Like it's just that kind of work for me that if I'm not thriving off it, you'll know. Yeah. We'll all know. I won't do a good performance because I'm not feeling it. So well, that I feel like that makes so much sense because I feel like a big part of your comedy is like the positive energy that you put out into the space that you're in when you're on stage oh yeah thanks mate yeah, yeah you know what that. i mean though yeah. hey that's like it's like a big like i feel like i've actually i've had this when people that i know who aren't comedians have seen you like everyone's in good spirits when you're on so mm. if you were feeling flat or hating the gig yeah that would take part of that away 
Totally. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I think a lot of my jokes and stuff are definitely driven by the fact that there's energy behind them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like people get swept up in the momentum. So totally. Yeah, even if I'm a little bit, yeah, if I'm feeling a bit unwell or something, like during comedy festival, mm. I always get the festival flu. Yeah. And that's always my biggest criticism of myself during the festival is I'll always have a few shows at the peak of like my festival flu where I'll be like... I was just flat. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, sh- I'm sure everyone had a nice time, but I just know that the show wasn't what it has been because I don't have any energy. Definitely. And yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm not feeling good. It's a frustrating yeah. feeling. Yeah, it is. I hate it. It's so bad. <laughs> and it, even in the moment while you're up on stage, you're like, exactly. I'm, I'm at 20% yeah. And, yeah. and you're like, come on, dig yeah. deeper. And you're like, there's nothing there. Exactly. There's nothing and it's to like, dig to. You're sort of looking at your watch like, I've got 25 minutes left yeah. and I yeah. don't have any energy. Yeah, it feels like 25 days. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I remember a couple of years ago in the peak of my festival flu, I, I, I coughed so hard that I cracked ribs. And I was like, it was, it was so bad. I was like dub- doubled over in pain. And at the time I was living in Thornbury and uh, Claire Hooper, who is a very dear friend of mine, she lived not too far away from me and we were chatting one day and I was like, oh, I was like, Claire, like I'm cooked. Like I've, I've cracked my ribs. I've got like 10 shows left. Like I just, you know, I... I I just want a sinkhole to open up and just claim me. Yeah. And uh, she ended up driving me to my show each night. She'd come and get me. That's so nice. And her show was around the same time and she'd drop me off. She'd leave early. She'd get me. She'd drop me off. And I remember the first... what a great friend. Yeah, she was the best. And I remember the first night she did it. I remember hobbling out to her car and I was double, I was bent at the waist and I did this show bent at the waist holding onto the mic stand and I was like just clutching my left side and every time I breathed in air it was like someone was stabbing me and it, like it was just the worst but I just remember this drive into the city just accidentally Claire managed to hit every single pothole the whole way in and, and and she was so apologetic and it just like it should have been something out of a like a Hollywood comedy yeah, film yeah. Like, I was picturing like a sitcom or something yeah like, oh, 100% along. and she's escalating every time and she's like I'm so sorry and like her apologies are getting more and more dramatic and theatrical and and it was making me laugh her just beside herself that she just had found the bumpiest way to get me into my show and each time we go into a pothole I'm like oh and then Claire's like oh no another one another one and, and then I'd laugh and I'd be like oh no I stop it stop apologising and the, is the laughter's hurting as well oh like, the laughter was the killing laughter me. would be the worst yeah, yeah and I was like you've got to stop apologising Claire like, like I'm laughing so much and I'm in so much pain and, it, like, and I, I think about that story all the time because it was such a kind act and it was just so funny yeah. how I, I reckon I would have been better off on the tram. Walking, yeah. <laughs> You're crawling. I could have like, crawled from Thornbury. Like she did to the such city. a considerate thing, but she probably <laughs> fucked your ribs way more. <laughs> but yeah, now there's permanent damage. Thanks yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. I feel like that. I, I reckon we should wrap up now because that, like, circles back in terms of, like, talking about comedy 
being hard work and all that shit we were talking about before it's like fuck you know sometimes you crack your ribs halfway through a festival <laughs> and then have to do 10 more shows with cracked ribs you know that's brutal it's a brutal profession the show must go on it's much riskier than <laughs> yeah, yeah it's like an extreme sport <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Kirsty. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. See ya.